And with that glorious introduction, welcome to everyone for the first episode of Gang Green and Goudreau of the regular season in the NFL right here on Percolated Media. This is Goudreau here. Thank you all so very much for listening. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten. But before I get to this podcast in and of itself, I do have a few things I want to talk about first and foremost. Number one, and this should go without saying, to everyone who has followed us from Binge to our new website, uh, both Garrett, myself, and Adam, we are so grateful to all of you. To be honest, when last year was coming to an end and we realized that you know our, our time at Binge was closing, Garrett and I had to do some serious conversing about were we going to do this again? More importantly, were we going to do it on our own specific platform? And I didn't have a good answer, which is why it took as long as us to launch here as it did. There was a lot of planning, a lot of conversations, and a lot of work behind the scenes that I'm going to recognize right now. Uh, Nathan, our producer, designed the website. He's put up all the stuff you see, the audio files, the pictures. The overall presentation of our site would not be possible without Nate's hard work and willingness to step in for three schmucks who wanted to start their own website. Speaking of starting their own stuff, that brings me to this podcast. If you followed us from Binge, or if you're a first-time listener, welcome, by the way, if you are. Thank you very much for checking this out. Those who know me from Binge know that I am a diehard New York Jets fan. Emphasis on diehard because it has taken months, if not years, off my life with the amount of dedication and willingness to put up with with the Jets over the years as, as I have. With that being said, I think I'm a pretty affable person. I'm very jovial. A lot of you listening have met me in person. Some of you, if you followed us from Binge, listened to the aftertaste. I don't get that angry because at the end of the day, movies are entertainment. And that's the bulk of what Garrett and I have talked about in the nearly 10 years since we've been podcasting on our own. But if you listen to the sportscast... Someone said that it's almost like I have this alternate personality that comes out with the Jets where I turn into just this this raving lunatic who only sees red instead of green. And it is just sometimes it's not pretty. But that brings me to this show. When Garrett and I launched the website with Adam, we were talking about, in addition to our mainstay show, the retrospective format for movies and television and what have you, I really wanted to have my own show. Because I, I, I'm an egomaniac. I like listening to myself talk, no lie. But more importantly, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. That was not part of movies or writing because of, look, a lot has changed in my life in the year in the year since we've um, we jumped from binge to here at Percolated Media. Not only have we started a new website, my family's gotten a hell of a lot bigger. Work has been really busy. So all in all, I have a lot on my plate. And as a result, despite me being a great writer, at least in my opinion, certainly a, a credible one, I'd like to think in my estimation, 
I knew I would not have the time to commit to that, but I wanted some kind of weekly one solo show that I can come on and just talk about how I feel. And as I was thinking about possible ideas, the thought came to me about starting a podcast devoted to my favorite football team, the New York Jets. And I say favorite somewhat jokingly because it is a love-hate relationship. Just because I get upset doesn't mean I don't care. If you've seen that meme of the person holding the umbrella over a dog or whatever the heck it is. That's kind of how I feel about the Jets. So the goal of this show is going to be not a overview of the NFL, because there's plenty of other sites who could do it and do do it much better than I could and have more interest in that. See the Binge Media Sportscast. TM and PJ, they do a terrific job. You know, TM, him and I, we chat in our own side conversations on Facebook a lot because he is a he's a Dolphin fan and I'm a Jet fan. So, A, it's amazing that we can even talk to one another because for those of you who are outsiders, Jets-Dolphins has been a heated rivalry for a long time in a way that a lot of the biggest rivalries in the NFL tend to be. The problem is a lot of the games have been one-sided recently, which I'll get into. But like I said, I didn't want to do something spanning the entire NFL. This will just be me talking about how my team performed in the week, a little bit of a preview for next week, and maybe one or two big stories that I want to talk about. So that's the goal of this show. There is an underlying one. This is a hell of a lot cheaper than therapy bills, as I said in my dissertation that you read, likely when you clicked on this video. So enough preamble. Let's get into football. And that brings me to this season that just began last Thursday when it kicked off with the Bills pummeling the Rams. Every year with a new season comes a certain amount of excitement about the possibilities of effectively wiping the slate clean. And two years ago, the Jets basically did that. A little bit of a background for those of you who don't know me especially well. I'm 29 years old. So I've been a Jets fan for most, if not all, of my life. But I sort of came on at a very interesting period in the history of the franchise. When I first really started getting into the Jets, it was the late 90s when Bill Parcells righted the ship after the disaster that Rich Kotite had been in the two years before he took over. And ever since then, despite not winning any championships because this team has gone 50 plus years without even getting to a Super Bowl, much less winning one, from 97, 98 to 2010, 2011, that has been the most consistent period of the Jets' success. I do say the word success in quotes because they didn't reach the ultimate destination. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. It's not to win your division, although that's a good stepping stone. It's not to beat your rival. It's to hoist a Lombardi trophy at the end of the season. The Jets haven't done that, sadly. And quite frankly, I don't know if I'm going to see it in my lifetime, but we'll we'll get into that momentarily. But when I think about those years, it was a it was a good time to be a Jets fan, all things considered. And I say that because if you look at the the teams that were assembled around that time, Bill Parcells, he made the playoffs with the Jets. Then there was Al Groh, who was a, a one-and-done coach after Parcells left. 
and as a one and done coach, you would think, oh my God, he must have been a disaster. He must have been this this scrub who didn't know what the heck he was doing. Well, the reality is when you go back and look at that year, they did finish nine and seven. But it was sort of a choke job and a collapse towards the end of the season. But nevertheless, a winning record. Bill Parcells in his four years, nine and seven, twelve and four, eight and eight. I would take that in a heartbeat now as a Jet fan. Herm Edwards comes in right after Al Groh's stint. And there were some good things with Herm. He made the playoffs four straight. He made the playoffs four years out of his tenure. Again, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Where where do I where do I cut my hand and make a deal with the devil to sign it in blood to get something like that now? I would I would absolutely do it. There were some tough losses. I still remember there was that divisional playoff game against the Steelers at Heinz Field where there was a kick that would have tied the game and it was no good. So Herm couldn't wait to go to Kansas City and coach that team. Then the main genius came in. Oh, this will be the guy from the Belichick tree to to break that that track record that Bill's tree tends to have. You know, look at all the disasters that have been former Belichick disciples and failed head coaches. Romeo Cronell, Charlie Weiss, Bill O'Brien, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia. Mangini, early on, he looked like he was going to be the exception. He made the playoffs his first year. 10 and 6. Chad Pennington was the comeback player of the year. But as luck would have it, it was not meant to be. There was the Brett Favre year that really sealed the deal on Mangini. And it's still why I harbor a certain amount of resentment towards Brett Favre. Let's be honest. He he wanted to go to Minnesota. He didn't want to play for the Jets. We were just a pit stop. They were 8 and 3. He gets hurt, continues to play for it. They finish 9 and 7 and shit the bed and miss the playoffs. Then comes Rex. Mr. I'm not here to kiss Bill Belichick's rings. In those first two years, it felt like we were on the cusp of something magical. Say what you want about Mark Sanchez, Mr. Butt Fumble, and all that kind of stuff. Here's the reality. Mark Sanchez won four road playoff games, two of which came against Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in their own building, back-to-back. And he made the big throws when he had to. They had a staunt defense. I mean, you could talk about Sean Ellis. You could talk about David Harris, Calvin Pace, Antonio Cromartie, Jim Leonard, and of course, the the unicorn that is Darrell Revis. But offensively, they got it done. They pounded the ball. It was old school smash mouth football. It seemed like Rex's third year was going to be the charm. They were going to make the Super Bowl. And then it all sort of came tumbling down after that. I don't know exactly the moment that the wheels fell off the horse or the, the, the wheels fell off the carriage, but it kind of started when they fired Mike Tannenbaum and brought in John Enzik and the rest is history. So that brings us to Todd Bowles and Adam Geese, the last two head coaches we had before Robert Sala now. Boy, these two guys were disasters. I mean, if you look up terrible head coaches in the dictionary, Adam Gase would probably be the first one that you see. Just unwatchable football. But the reality was he put us in so deep of a hole, both proverbially and literally, between being bereft of talent and in cap hell with so many bad 
free agent contracts. Remember Le'Veon Bell, everybody? He did better knocking out Adrian Peterson than he did anytime he suited up in the green and white. That was the end of 2020 season. He was out the door. They bring in Robert Sala. And I'm going to be honest, I was overjoyed. When I saw him in San Francisco, he seemed like that rah-rah guy like Rex was. All gas, no break was his mantra. Very eloquent, tied to New York, if you've heard him talk about his 9-11 experience. Just a sweet, affable guy that, to be honest, I would want to... Obviously, I wouldn't play in the NFL because I'm not I'm not built to be an NFL player. But he seemed like he was the right guy. And I'm going to be honest, after that first year, last year, I still had my doubts. But at the same time, it was effectively a redshirt year considering where this team had fallen under Adam Gase. But it was a new regime, new coach, new quarterback with Zach Wilson, who, by the way, isn't he just adorable? He is absolutely adorable. <laughs> Sorry, just had to put that out there. I think he's very cute. But that brings me up. Oh, oh, Christian didn't hear that. Sorry, babe. So... I knew it was going to be some growing pains. But there were certain red flags, not challenge flags, that gave me some concern. Number one, last year's defense was historically bad, including that stretch where they gave up like 54 to New England. There was that game against the Colts where they got run over. Just terrible, terrible defense from a quote-unquote defensive-minded head coach. But they had some big wins. There was the game against the Titans. They beat the Bengals with Mike White, which was the best Jets performance by a quarterback in like a decade, maybe outside of some of the Ryan Fitzpatrick games, the good ones that first year. But I said, look, Rome is not built in a day. This will be a multi-year process. So going into year two, this offseason, I loved all the moves they made. The big things were, Fill some holes in the free agent period and nail your draft picks. They were in position to do both. And on paper, their free agency signings were exactly what the doctor ordered. Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama at tight end. I've been screaming for years, basically since Dustin Keller's career was cut short by injuries and some just bad luck, that the Jets have not had viable options at tight end. And you could read the laundry list of guys that have played that position. Jason Morrow. Austin Safarian Jenkins, Trevon Wesco, Jeff Cumberland. Most of them a bunch of stiffs. So I was like, okay, not only can these guys catch balls, CJ Uzama's a good run blocker, but the Jets are in the Shanahan style offense. You gotta have some 13 personnel packages in your arsenal. The offensive line still a work in progress, but they brought in Lakin Tomlinson, Pro Bowl guard from the 49ers. Sala bringing in someone he's familiar with. Jordan Whitehead, safety from the Bucks. He's been on a championship team. He knows a culture. Oh, God, if, if I have to hear that word culture one more time, I'm going to scream. But I'll get to that shortly. Then the draft comes along. Oh, the Jets had the greatest draft, if you watched ESPN, since Moses parted the Red Sea. Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Of course, Sauce played at Cincinnati, didn't give up a touchdown as a corner. And then the cherry on top, they 
trade back into the first round to get their prized edge rusher, Jermaine Johnson, which the Jets have not had since John Abraham. Then they pour whipped cream on the Sunday by drafting Brees Hall, the consensus number one running back. Some other draft picks, Michael Clemens, Jeremy Ruckert. All in all, job well done. But eventually the rubber has to meet the road, and you have to show results. This year, my expectation was this. I'm not expecting a playoff run. Damn sure not expecting a Super Bowl. But I need to see consistency, week in and week out. This cannot be a team that gets blown out, fails to score, put up points, can't stop anybody. You need to be viable in almost every single game and have a chance at some point to bring it home and get that W, as Damus Winston said. Eat that W. I hate putting numbers on it, but look, they won four games last year. I said, I want eight wins. You doubled your win total under Gase. He was 2-14. and 14. Salah won four games his first year. Get seven, eight wins. And then next year, you make your, your real deep run. Because as Salah said, it took them three years in San Francisco before they made that, that Super Bowl run. Progress, with a capital P, is what the expectation should have been. I gotta be honest. Now we're gonna get into the game that just happened, the home opener against Baltimore. Now I I do not go to Jet games anymore. It's just with where I live, it's a drive. And let's be honest, the last decade has been miserable for Jet fans. Outside of the the outlier that was 2015 when they won 10 games and lost to Rex Ryan in Buffalo. That was also the game where I realized, oh, Todd Bowles ain't the coach. He's, he's not going to last long. So should you be surprised that MetLife Stadium, on 9-11 of all days, the stadium was not even full, and there was a considerable percentage of Raven fans? You say, oh, Matt, it was raining outside. Bullshit. Did you watch the Bears-Niners game in week one? They played in a monsoon, basically. Soldier Field looked like it was about to be washed off the face of the earth. And Jet fans are some of the most diehard you will find. Snow, sleet, hail, hell, even a hurricane. If you put a good product on the field, we'll be there. And the sad reality that I don't think Woody Johnson, the owner, has ever realized is that the reason why you're not getting those seats, your season ticket holders, is because this team has been, excuse my language, fucking garbage for the better part of a decade. And you needed to show that dreaded catchphrase, same old Jets, was a thing of the past. That we were making constant strides to contend with a team that, and the Ravens could very well make the Super Bowl. They're pl- they got a former MVP as their quarterback in Lamar Jackson. They were playing without running back J.K. Dobbins. They don't have a viable number one receiver. And they were playing their third string left tackle. It was set up for the Jets possibly to win, but at bare minimum, make this a competitive game for 60 minutes. And what we saw was anything but. It's week one. I'm not going to kick and scream. I'm not going to call for anyone's job. But there were some things that happened in this game that did make me say those three words, same old Jets. So where do I start? 
I guess you have to start with the, the first half of this game. Because this was a 10-3 game at the half. The Jets' defense came out firing on all cylinders. Quinn and Williams made a big stop, a goal line stand, for Justin Tucker to kick a field goal. We saw Kawan Alexander, who they signed in free agency, flying around all over the place. Sauce Gardner only had one target. They didn't go anywhere near him. And the Jets' defense collectively held Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense to the second fewest rushing yards they have had since Lamar Jackson took over the Ravens in 2018. And the Jets' defense last year was number 32 against the run. So you say, wow, that's, that's progress. And sure it is. There's nowhere to go but up. But it's a three-phase game. Defense, special teams, and offense. There were some things the defense didn't do well. There was a penalty on LaMarcus Joyner. There was a miscommunication on one of the touchdowns to either Duvernay or Rashad Bateman, where the safeties had no idea who was responsible for coverage because they were playing cover three. I'm not going to kill the defense. They held up their end of the bargain. Offensively, Joe Flacco is nowhere near what he used to be 10 years ago. He's 37 years old, has never been mobile, even in his heyday. And you put him behind an offensive line that is down to George Fant playing left tackle, who has been flip-flopped around because of the Mekhi Becton slash Dwayne Brown injuries. And Max Mitchell, their fourth-round prospect, because he's still that, very raw. Those are your two tackles. And when you combine that with Joe Flacco, who, let's be honest, my one-year-old has more mobility than he does, you're going to get exactly what you saw. He was under pressure constantly. He couldn't escape the pocket. And he led to him making some bad throws. There was an interception in the first half that really was one of the turning points of the game where I said, oh, God, we're going to waste our time here for three hours. What drives me nuts and we'll get to the coach because, God, do I have things to say. And I'm glad I waited until Tuesday to record this, considering what came out of his mouth yesterday during his conference. Injuries are part of the NFL. Adversity is part of the NFL. It's what makes for great champions. That's what separates the contenders from the pretenders. When you're faced with adversity, can you look it in the face and make adjustments? Last year, we watched Joe Burrow behind one of the worst offensive lines as far as pass protection in a very long time. Will his team to the Super Bowl? What the hell was that yesterday? You can't use, oh, we're down to our, we switched our offensive line around and there's injuries. How many times can you say that? How many more excuses can you make before that well runs dry? Because Jet fans, we're sick of excuses. More importantly, this game plan, knowing Joe Flacco is what he is, a backup quarterback at the twilight of his career. You let him throw the ball 59 times? Yes, you heard that correct if you didn't watch the game. 59 times. A lot of you are going to say, oh, that must mean he got plenty of yardage and they put up a lot of points. Yeah, he went over 300 yards. But that's pretty easy to do when you have 37 completions. He had one touchdown. 
to Tyler Conklin. You know when that touchdown was scored? In the final two minutes of the game. Up to that point, the offense could only muster three points. And there were self-inflicted wounds, as so often is the case with this team. Whether it was Brees Hall fumbling the football, Michael Carter dropping a walk-in touchdown in the second half, a huge fumble by Tyler Conklin, a big drop by Corey Davis on third and nine in the first quarter when the Jets actually had some momentum. It's ridiculous. Bad teams find ways to... They, they, they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. That is the mantra of the Jets over the past decade. They, they, no matter what, to quote Joe Badingo, who is one of, one of my favorite people to listen to, they can change the coach, they can change the owner, can change the uniforms. But the results never change. 24 to 9. And let's be honest, this team, this was a one-score game at the half. But this offense was so quick to get away from the run because we got Joe Flacco back there. Really? It's one thing if Zach Wilson's out there because he can move outside of the pocket. He can make plays with his legs. You can run read option. You can run some RPOs. The Ravens defense knew that Joe Flacco couldn't do that. And with all the jumbling of the offensive line, the Ravens knew what they were going to do. They couldn't call the right protections because these guys haven't gelled together yet between all the injuries and the flip-flopping of your tackles. But it's not an excuse to say that people were hurt, especially when you made so many mental mistakes on offense. And this team was running the ball pretty well. They got two really good running backs. Michael Carter, the first play of the game was a 19-play burst for a first down. I'm like, okay, that's what this offense should be predicated on. Short passes, zone runs, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, yak, that kind of stuff. Possess the ball because the Ravens are not, outside of Lamar Jackson, they're not a dynamic offense, especially not in the passing game. But lo and behold, in the second half, There were some missed calls on defense, like I said, but this offense couldn't do a damn thing. And I will never understand why they chose to throw the ball 59 times with Joe Flacco in a one-score game for most of it. It's inexcusable. It's Adam Gase-esque. And that crap needs to change. Speaking of things that need to change, player personnel was a big question mark about Salah's first year because of how he likes to use his his players. He has a defensive rotation on the D-line where guys are swapping out every three to four plays. Now, the problem I have with that is in crucial situations sometimes, your third downs, your when you need a goal line stand in the red zone, that's when you need your best edge rushers, your best interior linemen on the field. And swapping them out so frequently stalls momentum on your defense. Guys can't get fired up. Guys can't get into a rhythm. It'd be one thing if your system worked, but it's not. It didn't work last year. It didn't work this year because, yeah, they kept Lamar in the pocket and didn't really let him run. But those guys couldn't get home. John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, that should be your front four pretty much for the entirety of the game, barring injury. Because those are your four best players. And speaking of your best players, 
You drafted Garrett Wilson with the 10th overall pick at wide receiver. Great tape in college. Looked like exactly the type of weapon Zach Wilson in this offense could thrive with. How does he not on the field more? I love Braxton Berrios. Great story. Great guy. Great slot receiver. But Garrett Wilson should be your number one option. If not this year, then definitely next year. He's already got Elijah Moore. You got some good tight ends. You mean to tell me Garrett Wilson only finished with four catches for 52 yards? You mean to tell me CJ Yazama was hardly in the game? Lawrence Cager, their fourth string tight end, converted wide receiver to tight end. He got more snaps. And the interception was partially on him because he slipped and fell down. Because let's remember, MetLife Stadium's turf is the real green monster, not Fenway Park, because so many people have gotten hurt on it over the years that's not even funny. This offense also, by the way, this is the most damning stat of all, did not have a third down conversion until the fourth quarter of the game. I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't care how many injuries you have. To not have a single first down, that is ineptitude that we have not seen since Adam Geeks. And you never want to hear that comparison ever be made if you're the head coach. So I get it's week one. And I talked about the offense, I talked about the defense. It seems like every freaking year, the Jets' special teams is an unmitigated disaster. Let's start with Braden Mann. He had a 20-yard shank punt to set the Ravens up on the Jets' side of the field. Last year, they had Thomas Morstead when Braden Mann got hurt. Morstead's now on the Dolphins. Made the wrong cut there, Joe Douglas. Greg Zerline wins the kicking battle over Eddie Pinheiro, who... Had a great day in Carolina on Sunday. What did Zerline do? Missed PAT. Missed field goal. Seems like no matter what they do, the Jets special teams puts points at a premium because it's impossible for somebody to make a goddamn kick. It's just infuriating. So all in all, it was exactly the same old Jets. And if you want to know, Woody Johnson, why your stadium was filled with some Jet fans that a lot of empty seats. Because of the crap like this, we have had to watch for a long time. And believe me when I say, when things get better, if they get better, that stadium is a great place to be because I've been there firsthand when things were rocking. When people actually believed in this team. There's no belief. The only belief is the owner and this head coach, who at this point has played 18 games in that position, 4-14. Four and 14. And in those five games, four of them, they didn't score double digits on offense. Again, Adam Gase-esque. I'm tired of his bluster. I'm tired of his cliched catchphrases. All gas, no brakes. There's no brakes. There's no driver's seat. There's no engine. There's no exhaust. It's all exhaust. If you want to keep that analogy going, because all it is is hot air that gets you nowhere. And I get it. New York is not an enviable place to coach if you're losing. It's the greatest media market in the world. And if you're a winning franchise there, there's no better fan base. 
than a New York team. But when you're losing, and you're losing like this, it can be a nightmare. Ask Joe Judge how that went for the Giants. Ask Adam Gase. Ask Todd Bowles. Heck, even ask Rex Ryan. When things started to go downhill, he went from being the golden boy to someone that no one even wanted to hear speak. And on that note, I'm tired of hearing Robert Sala talk. So that brings me to what happened yesterday at his post-game press conference. A couple things. He has the nerve to call out Garrett Wilson for not hustling, putting his shoulder down on a third and nine, where he got all that yardage by himself because Flacco threw the ball at the line of scrimmage. And Garrett Wilson made three guys miss. Salah, come on, you're better than that. There's plenty of other people that are far more culpable than Garrett Wilson, especially since you didn't let him play. And you kept Corey Davis in the game after that critical third down drop. You talk about accountability. You talk about setting your standards. Look at Brian Dayball on Sunday in that giant game. When Daniel Jones threw a pick, made a bad decision. He let him know about it. It's not being a hard ass. It's being a manager. It's being a culture of accountability. He hasn't had that. He's far too more concerned about letting his veterans play on defense. Letting his veterans play, period. Because some of his veterans aren't the better players. you got to put the people out on the field that give you the best position to win. Because if you care that much about your job, Joe Flacco would not have been playing that game. To be honest, Mike White should have been the starter for that game. Because we know what Joe Flacco is. And Mike White should deserve an opportunity to at least see what he's got. I even said they should consider trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. What would you have to give up? Cap hits one thing, but teams manipulate the salary cap all the time. C.J. Mosley restructured his contract. What are you going to do, give up like a third or a fourth round pick to get Garoppolo? Now that window's gone, because Trey Lance struggled in week one. And they kept Garoppolo for a reason. Because he can come in and win games. And I get the Niners arguably have a better team. But there's too much talent on this Jets team for them to put up nine points. Six of them coming in the fourth quarter to go 0 for 8 on third down. When your defense is playing its ass off. He doesn't care about winning. He's all about trust the process. I'm keeping receipts. Robert, I got plenty of receipts too. Because I've been here a hell of a lot longer than you have, and trust me, if things get worse and you're already this combative with the media, you're in for a proverbial nightmare between the fans, the ones that actually show up to the games, and these reporters that ask you questions about your performance, about the team, about the garbage you are putting out there. And you got a chance to prove yourself, Salah. Because the football gods gave you a break. Yes, it's terrible that Zach Wilson got hurt because he's all this rise or dies on Zach Wilson ultimately. If he's the guy, if he's the quarterback, the franchise quarterback we have so yearned for since Joe Namath, then these bumps in the road will just be that. There'll be bumps in the road. If Zach doesn't pan out, both Sala and this GM, Joe Douglas, they're going to be looking for new jobs. You can hit on all the guys you want. Sauce Gardner, if he 
keeps this up, who knows? Maybe he'll be a pro bowler. If Garrett Wilson gets involved in this offense, if he finishes with 1,000 yards, we'll say, good draft pick there. But at the end of the day, you win because of your quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not winning many football games. So Zach Wilson's out at least till week four. You got the Browns next week, week two. Deshaun Watson's not playing. Jacoby Brissett is. And the run defense against Baltimore looked pretty damn good. And Cleveland's probably next to Baltimore, the best running offense in the league with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I'm fairly confident that the defense can hold their own. Especially against Jacoby Brissett. He's not Lamar Jackson. Outside of Amari Cooper, it's not like they have a lot of weapons on the exterior of this offense. It's time to start winning games. If you don't beat Cleveland, you start out 0-2. The noise is going to get louder. They play the Bengals the week after that. A team they beat last year with a backup quarterback. Bengals didn't look like world beaters against Pittsburgh. Joe Burrow was turning the ball over like it was going out of style. I don't believe they're going to win that game. But I've been wrong before. That brings me to week four. If Zach Wilson plays, hell, regardless of who plays. Steelers have Mitch Trubisky under center, and T.J. Watt is likely out for the year with a torn pictorial. He's a defensive player of the year, and you don't have to go up against him. Great, they've got some dogs. they got Cam Jordan. I mean, Cameron Hayward, excuse me, Micah Fitzpatrick. But Mitch Trubisky shouldn't scare you as a defensive mind, Salah. You should be able to put a scheme in place to keep that offense contained. But your offense has to deliver. There's too many good players to get this putrid of a performance week in and week out. I haven't looked at the line for next week because, honestly, I don't know. And I'm not a betting man, so I don't follow that kind of stuff. But I'd imagine they're... The Browns are probably a seven-point favorite after the garbage we saw on Monday, on Sunday. TikTok, Sala, and your attitude towards the media, I'm glad you're keeping receipts. But you gotta you gotta go out there and prove prove something. Because if it's another disaster year, and I think it would take a lot for him to get fired. I honestly do. It would take a two and fifteen, three and fourteen type of year or Zach Wilson just imploding for him to lose his job. Would it surprise me? No. Do I want it to happen? No, because I like Robert Sala personally. But the results aren't on the field yet. You played 18 games. Joe Douglas, this is your third year on the job. You've had three off-seasons to build this team. The excuses are over. Like I said, I don't think asking for eight, seven, eight wins is a whole lot. Hell, for a lot of teams, that's unacceptable. But I realize how far we have to crawl out of the abyss that Adam Gase and company left us in. But the time for talk is over. Now you got to go out in the fields and you got to shut up and prove it. That's my overall thoughts on week one. Not quite what I expected. I thought it'd be competitive, like I said, but it really was the same old Jets. And if it continues, these shows are probably going to get more and more aggressive. And maybe I will stop calling for people's jobs, but I understand there's a certain amount of reality. 
And speaking of reality, that's going to bring me to the close of this show. So I'll do, for those of you wondering, I'll do breakdown of the game. I will do some, you know, if there's any post-game stuff I want to talk about. And I'll give a slight preview for next week's game. So I mentioned, Jets play the Browns in Cleveland. As I mentioned, defense should be able to put a good game plan together. It's all about stopping the run. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. If you let Jacoby Brissett beat you with his arm, then you have no right to call yourself a head coach with the horses you have on defense. If you get run over, well, maybe some of those draft picks aren't as good as you thought they were. Challenge is on the offense. I want Mike White to start. If I have to watch another game of Joe Flacco play like that, it's going to be ugly, both in my household and across Jet Nation. But you got to have Garrett Wilson on the field. you got to have Elijah Moore. Have the running backs run the damn football. Pound the rock. Extend drives. Because that's how you beat the Browns. The Browns are a possession offense. They don't have those home run hitters outside of the running backs. So if you control the clock, run the ball, short passes, some intermediate passes, drag routes, slant routes, maybe a couple posts here and there because their corners are good, not great. You get speed on the outside. You get guys that can get open. Design some stuff to help them out, please. Because this is a game that they very well can win. And be honest, I get it's on the road, but the Giants just went into Tennessee with a rookie coach and a quarterback that he inherited and shocked the world. It's about time the Jets do something similar because it's been 13 straight September losses. 13. Last time they won a game was September of 2018, Sam Darnold's rookie year. They smoked the Lions in that game, but let's not forget the first play of that game was a goddamn pick six. And four years later, we're still waiting for a September win. Can't start out 0-4. Your season can't be over by Halloween. you got to be playing meaningful games in December. And this is the year to do it. So I'll close with this. First of all, thank you everyone for listening to my thoughts, the mind of a, a rancid Jet fan. There's stuff you want to hear me talk about, though. I'm more than willing to talk about other teams. I think I'm pretty well connected about the NFL. If you have questions for me, shoot me a Facebook message on per Percolated Media. Shoot me a Facebook message on my personal page. If you want to add me as a friend, absolutely. I love meeting people through this site. When I was working at Binge, I got to meet some of the coolest people possible. Some of my close friends, Garrett being one of them. Adam's now one of them. So thank you all for your support, because it, it, it means the world. It genuinely does. So that's kind of the, 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 the format of this show, everybody. It's going to be breakdown, looking ahead, and some plugs. To close out the show, I'm going to plug a couple more things. Our main show, Three Men on a Retrospective Podcast, we're still knee-deep in the world of Gotham City. So that'll be continuing for the foreseeable future, leading up to our review of The Batman, which came out earlier this year. And as we talked about, the three of us have not yet had any discourse about our feelings on it. We have kept it very close to the chest. 
So be sure to keep tuning around. Adam's going to be starting his own page talking about comics. I'm going to man down the fort here. And who knows, maybe Garrett will have the 4 out of 10 game make an appearance on his own special show. But with that, got about 45 minutes. That's typically what these shows are going to be. I don't expect it to go much longer. But thank you all very much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Percolated Media. Give us a like. Share it with your friends. Like us on Twitter at Percolated Media. You can find us all on Facebook. And until next time, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. Take care.